So hey, if you got a Bible, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2. And around verse 13. But here's the thing, you guys. So we haven't had class in a couple weeks because it's been snowing and icing. Um, and what I want to do today is very, very closely related to what we did like three weeks ago. So I might need to kind of reload that into your mind. Otherwise, you might, it's been, like I said, it's been a little while. So three weeks ago, we looked at this passage. It begins in chapter 2, verse 13. We need to raise some money for a better one of these. Look at this. This is ridiculous. Uh, submit. I mean, seriously, what's going on? That's horrible. Something terrible is happening. We'll do it later. So here it is, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, who do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. All right? And so we kind of keyed in on this thing, 2.13. It says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Which is really pretty broad, right? Like it's really, it seems a little bit without uh, exception. But I think we intuitively come to that and be like, well, he can't possibly mean to bad authorities. It, I mean, it wouldn't make any sense that we would submit to like unjust people that are, you know, inflicting us with their wickedness. But then the problem is he continues and kind of blows it up in 2.18. And he says, slaves, submit to your masters. Okay, so now we're all like, wait, what? Submit to your masters with all respect. But maybe he means good masters. That might help, because there's, maybe there's a better version of slavery than others. And then he says, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Okay, so do you feel like all of your arguments just dripping away? For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And as if that's not enough, then he's going to really just drive it home. Verse 21, to this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to the sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. And he's linking our, Peter is linking our radical fundamental submission to authority, including our submission to unjust authority, to the work of Christ, who is the pinnacle the ultimate expression of submitting to unjust authority. Nobody has ever been less deserving of punishment while still more patient in suffering that punishment than Jesus. And he says that wasn't just for your redemption, but it was also for your example. He left an example for us in this. Okay? So this is what we looked at last week, or three weeks ago. 
But we did, I did suggest to you that there's one, uh, there's a, there are other passages in the scripture that actually carve out an exception to this. Does anybody remember what is the, what is the exception or what are the passages that, that give us some kind of a amendment to this? Do you remember? Say it again. When you, very good, Bill. When you're forced to sin. So if God has de- demanded that you do something and, the, and your authority is telling you that you must not do that, as in the case of evangelism, right? So God has commanded the church to preach the gospel and we see in Acts 4 and in Acts 5 that Peter says, uh, Peter's preaching the gospel and the state comes in and says, yes, yeah, stop that, no more of that. And he's like, well, yeah, sorry. We will ab- we'll obey you in anything you want me to do unless and until you tell me that I can't obey God. And then, you, well, you tell me, what should I do? Obey you or obey God? And he obeys God, he gets thrown in prison, da, da, da. So if we're being called to sin, so it's something that I'm commanded to do and the state forbids it, then I still have to do it. And if, some, if God forbids me, if God, I might have gotten a text, I'm not sure. If God forbids, and it works both ways, if God forbids me to do something that the state compels me to do, then I don't have to do that. If I'm being called to sin. Okay, so it looks like this, Scott. So, we must obey even unjust authority. Except when doing so causes us to sin. And then this, even when doing so causes us to suffer. That's the biblical view on authority. I must be obedient to legitimate authority except when they cause me to sin. And even when they caused me to suffer. And we ended the class. And then I went home. And then can you guess what happened after that? Emails. All right. Then the emails start to come. Um, and there was all kinds of pushback. And so I thought it would be profitable. It would have been better if we did this a couple weeks ago. But I thought it would be better um, uh, or it would be, it would be profitable, useful to have a conversation. So if you are willing to voice your uh, your questions, your concerns, your disagreement, or even you know your 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 humble. I'm not. This is confusing to me. How do I make sense of this? Or your. What about this example from history? Or what about this example of that? What are we to do with that? Then I, I would love to have that conversation and to kind of see like, is this too stark? Am I misrepresenting the biblical view with this? Is there a point at which even this thing gets unacceptable? Right? Is there some, is there, are there other clauses besides what, I, what I've got here? And we kind of, and here come the hands, right? And we want to do this. And let me, let me just show you one more slide, and, and, I, and I'll make, make a bit of a prediction. We'll see. I think our questions are going to fall somewhere in this category. And even if they don't, it's totally fine. We can go wherever you want to do. I really, um, I have, that's, that's the last of my prepared remarks, okay? I have nothing else to say, except I always want to interact with you guys. But I think it might be look more like this. But what about? When we're asked to sit idly by when others suffer under unjust authority. Like, I can, I can understand that maybe I just have to take it. Maybe there's a place for that. But do I have to watch other people do it? Is it a sin? Does, does this invoke the first statement? If I, do I have an obligation to inter, interact, to in, in, engage when somebody else is being wounded? Would it be a sin for me to sit by? And if so, if there seems to be a conflict between... Um, my suffering and, other, and, and my sin, how do I do this? Maybe, maybe this space falls in there. And I think that's a really helpful place to go. But I saw a couple of hands. And so you guys, can, you guys can pursue this or anything else. But I'd love to have kind of some interaction on this question. So Fetz, 
You want to you jump? Yeah, that was, that was my question. Okay, so that's it. So, well, could you, what, do you, what do you think is the answer to that? Um, I think that, uh, well, I don't know. I, the, the first part of it is I'm trying to swallow that. Because I, I understand it intellectually. And I understand it through scripture that there are some things that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to struggle with more than other things. Uh, and so I can, I, can, I can almost get behind that personally for suffering. Um, but Jesus' suffering was for other people. So I can understand suffering for other people. But when you see other people suffering... And you don't do anything about it. I feel like that's that might be a sin of omission. And uh, it, it it would be okay. It would be, I think, uh, a danger to be like, well, they're at least exactly. <laughs> they're suffering in this with, without me stepping in and teaching them to kind of relate to Jesus too, so I guess they can continue to suffer. Yeah. But we have widows and orphans and, and people in North Korea and you've got you've got a bunch of stuff going on that's that's not right. And if good people stand idly by, I, I feel like we're I feel like we don't we're not doing what the Lord has has given us a gift to do. Okay. So let me try to restate that you're, you've got a, your voice carries well, but I'm not sure if it carries to the tape. So what Fess is essentially saying is that yeah, like doesn't don't we have an obligation to intervene when other people are suffering? I, I can kind of sort of get my head around that I might need to absorb some suffering myself. I don't like it, but I kind of see it, and so I'm working on that. But don't I have an obligation to jump in and help others? And so let's let's talk about that first. What do you, do you agree? Can you make a biblical case? The Christians have an obligation. It will be sin if we didn't intervene to protect others. Faith? 24. Proverbs 24. Very good, Ray. What were you going to say, Faith? Yeah. Yes. This is, if you guys want to turn, this is like the classic Christian verse on this. Proverbs 24, 11. Uh, if you want to flip back there, it says, uh, Rescue those. Being led away to death, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. But then it continues and it says, If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Curiously, that last line, he will repay each person according to what he's done. Paul picks it up in, uh, in Romans 2 or 3. Right, and borrows that. So that's like our famous, famous passage. We have an obligation. I, do you get, is there a context in which you've heard this quoted most often? I'm curious. For me, it's, this, is like a, this is like a favorite verse of the pro-life movement, right? Like you know this is going down. You know there's a million babies being killed every year. Uh, we, we know it. Don't say that you didn't know. This is, a, this is a go-to. So what about that? Does this, does this settle the question that we have an obligation to intervene when people are suffering. I guess the question would be, how does that, how does that manifest itself in our intervention? Okay, and so what, do you have a, you want to 
a proposal, an opening theory? Oh, I, I would say that if, if you're entering into that guns and blazing, killing abortion doctors, that's probably too much, maybe. It might be too much. I, I, would, I might agree with that. We, we can start there. Yes, maybe. Okay, right. We, we can keep, keep the door open here. Herrick? Uh, and this, this is a really good one for the day of love. For the day of? Love. Oh, oh, Valentine's Day. Gotcha. So, I mean, you know, when we think about true love, you know, that's God, and God is love. And so we can't fight hate with hate. So, you know, going and killing the abortion doctor, you know, like the, you know, that's not going to help anything, right? It's just going to spread hate. But if we can kill them with kindness, like Selena Gomez thinks about, then, uh, you know, we can, it, it works. It totally works. And I think the biggest thing. I don't know the Selena Gomez song. Would you mind singing a little bit of it? Could we? Could we do that? Kill my kindness. <laughs> but uh, uh, I think the biggest thing that I would ask for if I were suffering as a Christian, or the biggest thing that we can do for anyone that Jesus teaches us is to pray. Period. I mean, the power of prayer is way more powerful than than our worldly views lead us to believe. Sure. Uh, no question. No question. But there's also a, a strong case we made that we don't need to, we can pray and we want to ask God's intervention, but do I need to do something else? It's a fair question, you know. If somebody breaks into your house and is beating up your wife, are you going to pray for her or are you going to like murder that guy? You know, what, I mean, you're prob, you might pray, God, help me murder this guy. I don't know what you'll do, but there's a, there's a whole range. Okay, yeah, way back. Would, would our obligation on the third question be to step in and witness as to educate them on the first two points. Okay, yeah. First of all, I know that it's Daniel now that I just couldn't. You have too much of your face covered. I'm like, no, as soon as you, I heard your voice, oh, it's Daniel. Okay. I know it is. It is. It is. But we must. We must. We have to suffer for that one. It's okay though. All right. So, okay. Say it again, Daniel. What? What are you? What are you saying about it? I, would, I was asking if our obligation in the third question, if others are suffering, would it be more to intervene and to witness to them? As to the first two points. Yes. Okay, great. So, it very, so the fact that we have an obligation to jump in and to help people that are suffering, that who knows, there's a million different ways this takes, it doesn't necessarily contradict the first two. And it might even be an opportunity for us to engage people in these first two. But here's the thing. If you walk up to somebody who's not a believer, they're not under the saving grace of Jesus, they're not inspired by his suffering on their behalf and say, hey, great news, I know that you're suffering, but that's actually kind of amazing. You can be like Jesus. That message is probably not going to have a whole lot of value to them. It's just going to, it's going to, it would, might very well feel very callous, right? So what do we do? As these things grow increasingly into conflict, what, what do we do? We could point them to value of their suffering, but that might be a hard entry point, right? Um, what do we do, you guys? Yeah, Bob? Is James 4.17 a corollary to a New Testament version, maybe? of the? It might be, but I don't know what it says. James 4.17, what is that? Knows to do good and doesn't do it. To him it is a sin. Yeah. Yes, okay, good. Yes, so we, so there is something, if we have, it's very much like the, the Proverbs 24, that we have some good thing that we can do, but we don't. There's a, there's a, that's, the, that's the classic sin of omission kind of passage. Okay, so what do we do? The word jurisdiction, maybe we should use that. The word what? Jurisdiction. Jurisdiction. Okay, great. Tell me what you, tell me, go with that. Because I think we can only operate in what's in our jurisdiction. So we can use whatever laws we can. We 
confused, whatever relationships we can. We can influence people who have greater jurisdiction to do different things, but we cannot step away outside of that. Okay, that's great. So, so, and I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Let I still don't know your name. Okay. Letco. Letco? Yeah. Good enough. Okay, Letco is saying that jurisdiction is a relevant thing. So, like, I, I actually have, I, this is all about being under authority. Well, I only have myself a limited amount of authority, right? And so within my sphere of authority, there are things that I have an obligation to do. Like, I don't discipline your kids, right? I just discipline my kids. It's not, it's not mine to do. So if I don't have the jurisdiction then what do I need to do? Who, who, who does? How do I bring this into the right thing? I just read something. I read a story. I don't know those of you that read the Wall Street Journal. I just read a story about a woman who was a, a waitress in a diner. Did you guys see this in the last like, couple of days? And Did you see this? Like, Can you tell the story at all? Yeah. The lady who saw the kid sitting on one side of the table. Yep. Three were sitting on the other at a restaurant in Orlando, Florida. The father, the mother... One child was sitting on one side of the restaurant, and this other kid... Here, do me a favor. Could you come up here? Just because I'd love to have you tell it, but I'm going to have to repeat it all anyway. So, so. Um, this, this waitress in Orlando, Florida, was sitting at a table, waiting on a table, and three of the people were sitting on one side of the table, the father, the mother, and one of the children, I think it was a daughter. And on the other side of the table was a boy who was, you know, I'm thinking 10, 12. Yeah, little kid. Little kid. And he was, they didn't order food for him, but they ordered food for the, the daughter, and, the, and they both ordered food. And, um, and then the boy on the other side of the table didn't have any food. He was withdrawn. He was clearly underweight. They noticed uh, bruising, uh, head scars, and like a, a, a healing wound like on his face. And so the lady was like kind of shocked and like didn't know what to do. And so she got on the other side of the guy and the mom behind him and wrote on a napkin as like, are you okay? And he made, he got no. And then do you need help? She wrote yes. And so she went back, talked to the, the owner of the restaurant, long story short, called the police. Police came two police officers, pulled the boy apart, away from the family, talked to him, um, got him help but, you know, through the sequence of it. I think the story was five yeah. people that day did yeah. the right thing. That's right. At the end of the day, this kid is now in protective custody. The daughter's in protective custody. They found out what this man had been doing to this, to this boy, literally hanging him up, beating him, you know, denying him food, um, you know, just all kinds of torture. And uh, they believe that he would have been dead within a very short period of time if they hadn't acted. And, like, yeah, like, one of the last lines of the thing was, like, the kid weighs 60 pounds and, like, the dad weighs, like, 350 Three, or something. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, some outrage thing. And so thank you, Stuart. And so the way that the, the, the way that article is framed out, just as Stuart says, is, like, at each step, like, the waitress made the right call to go to her manager. The manager made the right call to call the cops. The... 911 operator made the right call. At, at, at each point, people within their own sphere of appropriate authority, this is what I'm supposed to do, they all did it. And the, but it, it chained all the way up to 
this kid being rescued. Now, at any point, that chain could have been broken. So it's so, so really, really important that we are thoughtful. What am I to do? But if, if instead we just kind of compress that and this waitress got in the guy's face and started yelling at him for being mean to this kid, the story probably wouldn't have ended very well, right? In fact, it probably would have ended very, very badly. So there's something about the exercise of wisdom Right? That if I'm functioning appropriately within the area that God has entrusted me, and it might be, like this woman, she's like, you know, who knows? She could get fired. If the manager gets, doesn't like it, who knows what, how this thing could play out? That we, we do put ourselves at risk. But maybe with, with a little bit more uh, discipline and wisdom in ways, they're going to yield to a better result. There's one way that this could look like. It doesn't necessarily mean that to intervene for somebody causes you to violate this principle of submitting to authority. Go ahead, real loud. I have an example. Uh, when I was when I was about 25, 26, new mom, I I had a neighbor who had who was abusing their children, and I found out about it. Found out there was no food in the house. There was only beer in the refrigerator. There were cigarette marks on these kids. I was scared to turn him in because I was scared to free the father. But of course. I intervened and I believe that was God told me to do that. And it's probably so. And did the story how did how did the story end? They wound up going to foster care. I ran into the youngest somewhere <coughs> in Florida, down there in um, Orange Park area. Yeah. And they're doing very well. That's great. And that's, so again, the appropriate exercise of this. But what we, what we you might even have um, kind of a, a vision of kind of a vigilante justice, right? So I've got a friend, you guys, many of you know John Richmond works for IJM. And if you think about IJM and this work of shutting down brothels, like, so one of their big focuses is ending the, uh, you know, human trafficking. And there's this very um, romanticized vision that you just kick in the brothel door and you smack all the heads of these pimps and you rescue these girls and everything gets better. And do you know how well that works? I mean, it's just absolutely worthless. The, the real work that IJM does, do you know what one of their fundamental operating principles is that they, they only work through the existing authority structures. Because if they don't, it's not going to work. So they do, it's a slow work. I mean, you're, in the meantime, all these horrible things are happening. But they're going to train the police. They're going to, like, advocate for just laws in these countries. They're going to do all this work. Because if they're working through the legitimate, it seems like God's blessing is on it if you're working through the legitimate authority structures. But if you're just kicking in a door with a gun, it, they're going to be back tomorrow. It just doesn't work. So the, anyway, I just would say that this, the tension between intervening for people that are really suffering and doing that under authority, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. Okay, Rachel? So what I love about the body of Christ is that the Lord has put on my heart a passion for people who are suffering that's different from someone else who he's given a passion to help those who are suffering. And for me personally, I love to help those immigrants who are suffering or those who are... Um, black who are suffering or those who but I think what's been frustrating for me is it's become so political that the, that issues that I feel like the body should clap and say good job for standing up for those who are suffering in this area it's just been so divisive because of a rhetoric line which has been 
Well, no, I mean, no, it doesn't make sense. Like, we all experience it on, like, a daily basis, that everything, yeah, it is, we live in this very, very strangely, I mean, I don't, somebody smarter than me might know exactly how we got here, but everything is highly, highly politicized, and it makes you feel like the people on the left and the people on the right, what they really, really love is their own power, not necessarily the protection of those that they are claiming to speak for, right? And so that really kind of does mess things up in a profound way. And I'm so thankful for those who are, like, have, have such a passion for, um, the unborn, you know, um, and the Lord has given me a passion to represent those who don't have a voice for themselves, but it just feels like you have to. Yeah, right. Now, and even as if I go down that road too much further, then we're going to find ourselves in that. So, really, what we want to focus here, and, that, and that's all, everything you said there is fair. I just know that everything leads to something else that now we're no longer talking about. This question do we submit to authority? Are we to be a people that are submitted to authority, even? as we seek to alleviate the sufferings of others. Can we, can we do that? Okay. Yeah. Sarah Lynn? I guess one thing I want to say that I feel like it's kind of been danced around or hadn't really been said, but when you think about the question, about the combination of all the questions, like we as a body have the Holy Spirit, and if that authority, which is God first, is prompting us to, um, you know, gives us a neighbor or, you know, some kind of like unjust situation, I think it's our, I think our response should be to ask the Lord, like, how do you want me to intervene and in, pray in, in and wait? Yes, for sure. If the if Spirit is going to lead us and call us, then we're going to do that. But then we've always got to be careful. Anytime we're following the Spirit's prompting, we've got to be very honest that it might be our own prompting, right? Um, for instance, I have an incredible drive toward my own preservation and safety and prosperity and well-being. And it's very, very easy to feel like, yeah, I don't think God would want me to do that. Well, why not? Well, because it might injure me, right? And maybe he wants me to be injured. It's, it's, it's easier to hear the Holy Spirit calling us into safety than it is to hear the Holy Spirit calling us into, into risk, right? And I would say, it'd be interesting to see like a lifetime record of every time the Spirit told you to do something, how would you feel if when you, when at the resurrection, you get to see how many times that was actually you talking to you versus how many times you were ignoring the Spirit. Like, is anybody confident that they would get an A on that? I, 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 I would not be. It's just a really, really hard thing to do, right? Extremely difficult. I missed your hand. Go ahead. Uh, my question is, and it's a very simple one, that every day we see these people, you know, out on the corners that say they're homeless and they have no money and, you know, they look pretty terrible, and, you know, they want money, and I don't know how to deal with it in my heart. Yeah, well, I think that if any of our, we have lots of good friends that work with, like, Street Ransom and, and Rescue Mission. I think any of those people whose full-time focus is caring for people in the most, you know, desperate of circumstances in Roanoke would, would tell you never give them any money. I think what they would say is, that we, we have unbelievable services in this city for folks that are really hurting. And that it's really, re now that doesn't mean that, I mean, you may choose to give them money and if so, you know, live your life. But I think, I think that the professionals who really know this industry would say, yeah, there's better ways to help alleviate suffering than by uh, incentivizing street corner panhandling. I don't think that's where we wanna, we wanna be. So, Lily? Um, I, I at least my response, I hope this is helpful, is that, uh, 
Like one, always when you when you struggle or when you feel prejudice in your heart, ask God to you know help him to see somebody as he sees them, so you can love that person well. But also like as the body, we need to well, and as individuals, we need to be open to being really creative with how God may call us to respond to those situations. Um, one thing our family has chosen to do is we have Ziploc bags that have a it's either McDonald's, Subway, usually McDonald's or Subway, and a granola bar and heat packs, like hand warmers. Sure. So we'll keep that in a Ziploc bag. So I think that I think that what catches people up in this broader conversation of submitting to authority or how do we respond to people who are asking from us is um, like are we asking God to allow us to have eyes to see and ears to hear for our individual situations because if we're faithful in those little situations to for instance submit to authority or allow ourselves to work within human institutions of authority like what that waitress did like paying attention to where God has placed himself authority, then we can then allow God to move our hearts to respond to injustice in other ways. That's great. But I think, like, so I was thinking about Isaiah 58 earlier, where it's the true fast. But the thing that always gets me after it says, you know, unloose the um, straps of the yoke, loose the bonds of wickedness, let the oppressed go free. At the very end of it is, is the real kicker, I feel, is um, it, don't hide yourself from your own flesh. And so it starts with this kind of overarching, God loves justice, God of justice, do this. But then it says, do not hide yourself from your own flesh. And those are the people literally living in your own home. Are you turning your hearts away from those people? Because that's where God's justice starts. Yeah. So there's this notion of moral proximity that there is suffering going on, to be sure, right now in like, uh, you know, I don't know, Cambodia or something. But I have a greater moral obligation to the suffering that's going on in Roanoke or to that versus it's in like at my, in my house, right? I have an obligation. So if I'm not being faithful with what's been directly entrusted to me, then I shouldn't expect to have more entrusted on the outside. That, that my ability to really see well, to sift through these things is checked by not just how much we go after suffering, but how much do I resist my own sin? Right? Like, if we're talking about, so we're, we're having this debate about, like, is it right to hide Jews when, the, when Hitler is on his thing? And I, I said, well, I don't know. I mean, we, we can talk about that. But, well, but you've probably never been asked to hide a Jew. Right? That's probably never happened. That's not as, we, can, we can have these kind of fantastic ideas of what that's like. But how about right here, right now, in the much smaller provocations? Are you, how quick are you to choose your own sin over your own suffering? Like, that happens, on a, that happens on, the da on a daily basis. Like, all the time. You are choosing, we are all choosing to avoid suffering, even at the cost of being sinful, on far lesser things. So, if we can't get that right, we probably don't need to worry about, like, some grandiose vision of saving the world, you know? So, get it right here. Okay, first, but Alan Janney's been very patient. I want to give Alan a shot. Could I uh, make the case that this is something of a gray area, your top two? Um, Two things that Jesus said. Um, so it seems like the uh, Pharisees came with, a, with hit this question, and Jesus kind of backed away from the rules a little bit and said, well, if your donkey falls down in the hole, and you're not supposed to break the rules on the Sabbath, you probably should to help this animal. And what about when um, 
it seems like this is a gray area when he and his sons were hungry and they started picking grains out of the field. And that seemed like another kind of a, we don't, we're not, we're suffering, we're hungry, so we're going to eat some of this and we do when we shouldn't. Okay, so Alan is saying, Alan, before we get into, so I'm trying to suggest that there's complications down here in the yellow zone. And Alan, you're saying you're not sure that you can quite grant the first two bullets um, that we can only, we have to obey unless um, it causes us to sin. We have to obey even if it causes us to suffer. And you're citing Jesus giving illustrations that make us say maybe even that's not quite so crisp. Is that right? Okay, maybe some, okay. So I would say to that, I think that what Jesus, I don't think Jesus is saying it's gray. I think Jesus is saying it's black and white and you need to get the donkey out of the hole. Like he's not saying maybe get the donkey, maybe not. He's saying, no, no, you misunderstood. We are always able to go in and to do those, to do those things. That, that it's, in fact, it's not that it's okay to violate the Sabbath, but that you're not violating the Sabbath. That was always baked in to an appropriate action. I think is what Jesus is saying there. Does that, do you think that's unfaithful? No, but I don't know if that satisfies your, your criteria. Well, it does if it's not a sin. Like, it's not a sin. It was never a sin to take the donkey out of the hole. So, again, it's not saying it's okay to sin. He's saying it was never a sin in the first place. That's what we meant all along. Okay, you want, you want to take a stab at that? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll ratify the Janet position, I think, which is, I, I think you can what if it's a crime? What if it's a crime to help the donkey? And I do think that you have to come up with, like, an order paradigm to work with, and I think the prior Sunday School of Paradigm was as follows. Obey authority, unless it causes you to sin. Some people would say, unless it causes you to be involved in sin, or unless you're prevented from preaching the gospel, right? More or less. Uh, not just the gospel. The gospel is a specific example, but yes, we, I was saying that we have an obligation to obey authority unless it Unless doing so causes us to sin. Those sins could be sins of omission. Right. I think there are instances where you can violate the law and still, I mean, maybe it's like a lesser sin to prevent like a greater problem. And so maybe every time Paul talks about suffering, it always seems to be in the context of like self-regarding acts. So yes, Christians should suffer. Christians should suffer. But I think the paradigm really breaks down when you start talking about other regarding acts. And there are so many examples that you can think of. You know, the one you mentioned, like the family of Isaac and Frank wasn't violating the law. Like that's a that's a harder moral question than like you know helping a kid at a diner um, or helping a neighbor with who clearly needs help. And so what do you do with violations of the law when you are Okay, so I keep, you keep using the phrase other regarding acts, and I'm not sure what that phrase, I just can't make that phrase mean anything. So what, can you just use a different phrase? I, just, I literally don't know what that means. I think it's Mill. Um, so like, in, I think it's Mill. I think in On Liberty, it's Mill? John Stewart Mill. I don't know who that is either. Um, so I think like the moral questions are, you know, I think there's like two types of moral questions, sort of like how, how do we think and comport ourselves in our own life? And what do we do when we see suffering? So like in the yellow text, there's lots of examples like, you know, like um, the Harriet Tubman example is like very common. Like she was clearly violating the law. Everyone 
that was helping her was clearly violating the law. How would those actions, or how would the family hiding Anne Frank's actions fall within the paradigm that was set up, which is we submit to authority unless or until it causes us to sin, or unless and until it prevents us from bearing witness to Christ. And I think that's what Alan's getting at. And so my bias, and my bias is obvious, I've always, I have a huge problem with authority. It's like one of my many, many problems. But, um, so that's my clear bias. And so clearly it hits my ear weird to hear the paradigm set up a couple of weeks ago. And so the way that I think you can look at it is to say, well, Paul was really talking to Christians about the suffering that they have to endure. And if you look at others around you that are suffering, violate the law to help them, like Harriet Tubman or the family that was hiding in Frank, or someone in North Korea, like Andy said. Because you're, you're not always going to have a setup where you can act within your jurisdiction or within your authority whenever there's like a manifestly evil authority, like let's use Kim Jong-il. And I think Paul, even Paul is sort of saying like, Rome is terrible to the Christians and they're going to kill us and we have to deal with it and take it. But he also has, there's that verse in Romans that says governments reward good, do good, and governments more or less reward Yeah, Romans 12, or 13. So like, I think in Paul's conception, he is sort of talking about good governments. I know like ultimately that government put him to death and crucified Peter. But the paradigm set up a couple of weeks ago doesn't do a great job of dealing with manifestly evil authority, or I guess I shouldn't use other regarding acts, but sort of like your relationship lateral. Okay, so let me pause. So, and forgive me because I'm, I'm duly aware of this room and then the people listening on this tape, and there's no way anybody heard that, and there's no way that I can faithfully capture it. So, so... Let me, let, me, let me try to do a quick re-summary, and then we might have to edit the tape, because I think that's going to be like two minutes of silence on the tape. So, um, but this room matters, too. It's just, a, it's a, I, have a, I have a dual audience i got to think, be thinking about. So, I believe, see if I, can, if I can capture you quickly, that um, you believe the, that this simple paradigm with the first two bullets, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, doesn't sufficiently address the reality that governments do awful things, and that we might have an obligation to, to, to disobey the government in order to uh, bring some good, some rescue to, to some parties. Is that, is that a fair, quick summary? Sure. It, it elevates the importance of authority over love God and love man. Okay. All right. So, and here, okay, so with, with the, with the I, I, don't, I don't agree. I don't think that's what, we, what we've done. Um, and I would say, though I, I really, I greatly appreciate your, oh, it's always time. I greatly appreciate your humility to say, I got an issue with authority in general anyway, right? Because that is what we're talking about, right? Overwhelmingly, the times that most people want to disobey authority is because they're trying to protect themselves, not somebody else, okay? So if I've done nothing else than, than help you recognize, like, oh, I'm not walking around all day long worrying about rescuing Jews from Hitler, I'm walking around worrying about being inconvenienced because I don't feel like it, okay? So that's really, on a day, on the daily, regular basis, none of us are like freedom fighters in Nicaragua, right? We just don't like wearing masks, okay? That's, that's, that's where this actually lives 
on the daily basis, okay? No, hang on a second here. It's going to be a minute. So, so that's what I would say. That it's, my, my impulse is to say we are a people who don't like submitting to authority, and you need to have a really good reason not to. And I think the reasons are entirely captured on that slide. Now, second, to, I think to suggest that Paul is naive about the wickedness of Rome does great violence to, like, all of human history. He knew exactly, I mean, he, he knew, and not just Roman authority, but he got his head kicked in in every city that he went to. Paul, you watch the way Paul suffers under the Jewish, forget the state, just under the Jewish leadership. And then when he is on trial before the Sanhedrin, he is all bows and curtsy. Like, he is constantly respectful, whether it's Festus or Agrippa or the Sanhedrin. Paul is very, very consistent in his submission to authority, even when he has to suffer terrible, terrible things. Not just his beheading. The beheading was probably like the least of the things that he had to endure. He endured constant abuse from the Jews and from Rome at, at all times. So he knew, he knew that the state that he's calling people to obey is wicked. And Peter knows, he's very clear in his context, that he knows that the authority that he's calling you to, even whether it's the state or whether it's like a, a slave master, that they are harsh. And he still says, Yes, there, even there, we are to do it. That the, this obligation to, to, oh, to submit when we're suffering, I do think is, ex, is, an, is an extreme standard, but I think it's the biblical standard, okay? Where it gets into it is this, gray, is this uh, yellow zone here of what about when we're asked to sit idly by when others suffer under unjust authority? And that's where I do think that it is absolutely fair and consistent with not, not a different from, but a, an expression of being caused to sin, we, have, we do have an obligation to help people. Generally speaking, in our normal life, it's not going to bring you into conflict with authority. It will bring you into conflict with your own suffering. That most of your life, when you're between a rock and a hard place, the way out is to suffer. You just don't want to. Like, you can get out of this situation, this dilemma that you're in, you can get out of it. It's just going to hurt. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I want a way out of the dilemma without my own personal suffering. And if we're willing to embrace that, which is what the New Testament is constantly exhorting, to embrace suffering, then I think a lot of those dilemmas don't seem quite so dilemma-y. Okay, so you may respond to that. No, no disagreement whatsoever with any of that with respect to your own, our own suffering. Okay, great. I think so I, I'm just trying to like move, move the test a little bit from a couple of weeks ago. Like, can we build in, like, a clause, like, if it's, if it's not your own suffering, you can violate the law. If, if violating the law is consistent with, I don't know, Matthew's admonition to love God and to love Well, and I, I, think, I think it's already built in. I don't think we need to add a clause. It's already built in that I, I'm not obliged to obey the state if doing so causes me to sin. That's, that's, that is what this is. If I have a moral obligation to protect someone and doing so is going to bring me up against um, some unjust authority, then I can do that. But I need, that's where I really think Martin Luther King becomes a great ally to us because he's the one that's going to say, yeah, but you can't be sneaky about it, right? Because the reason you're being sneaky is because you're trying to protect your own suffering. You're trying to avoid your own suffering. So if you feel like if you feel like somebody, and let's take it out of the state, you're at work and your boss is a monster and somebody in the office is suffering under their unjust authority and you want to intervene on their behalf, then do it out loud. You're going to suffer. 
But are you committed, if you're, if, if you're so committed to helping someone avoid suffering, are you willing to intervene on their behalf and be willing to take the hit? That's the biblical standard. Will I suffer for somebody else? Not will I surreptitiously and sneakily you know, uh, sabotage something so that they get out of it and I don't, I don't have to pay. Jesus rescues us from our suffering by his suffering. And that is really, really hard. It's really, really hard. But I do think that's the, that's the biblical picture. And we're super close to out of time. So, Herrick, you get one shot and then faith and then we're out of here. Yeah, cool. just one thing I wanted to say. <clears throat> you just nailed that. That was awesome. Uh, what you just said. All right, great. Faith. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're blessed when we suffer, man. That, Jesus said it in the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when others revile you, when persecute you, when other all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account. Sure. Sure. We should be glad. So that's awesome. That's all. Awesome. Amen. I appreciate that, Herrick. All right, Faith, bring us home. I was just thinking about, it's amazing that you said to focus on Nazi Germany, but I'm sure you know me on staff, Patrick and Shannon Murdoch. Last week, they go to court. All of a sudden, after years of everything pointing to a job adoption, the judge says, Kiyajal leaves in three days. Go to Vermont and Pennsylvania. She's met once in her little life. And I just thought, that's a judge who made me make. Maybe not the best decision. Patrick and Shannon took the hit for Kiaja, and they loved her and prayed for her and taught her about Christ for two and a half years, most of her little life. And now she's gone, and they're going to keep praying for her, and they're going to keep suffering because of that decision. And I think that's maybe what we're trying to get at. Okay, and I really am listening to you, but I'm looking for an email from Patrick. So what, what Faith was describing is that Patrick and Shannon had been pursuing adoption with a little girl through, I'm, I'm assuming the foster program, something akin to this, and it all fell apart at the very end, and the judge um, didn't grant them, what would you call it, custody or adoption rights, whatnot. And um, Patrick wrote me about this, and I'm trying to see if, I can, if there's something I can read that he wouldn't mind me reading. Let's see, hang on. Um, in the midst of it all... Um, God's timing is so impeccable in this. First Peter discussion, authority, et cetera, et cetera. I was chewing out on that discussion really hard Sunday. Then we got this decision from the judge on Monday. Um, wait, there was something else he said. Oh, darn it. I wish I was prepared to share this with you. Are you in the room, Patrick? Are you here? You're not here. Okay. Um, somewhere in this long email that I can't, I can't quickly scan, he essentially was affirming that that seeing God's pattern for submitting to authority, right, that this is what we do, was helpful to him. Because we really do live in an unjust world. Like, that's not a surprise to anybody, is it? Like, it really is unjust. So what do we do? Well, per Peter, we surrender to the authorities. Our vindication comes from the Lord. We trust him. And this is painful. They love this little girl, right? This is a really painful thing. But Patrick is eight. Patrick and Shannon both, through their tears, I'm sure, are able to say, Lord, we trust you, that you are the one who is ultimately in charge of all things. And if there's an appeal that they can exhaust, then they're going to, you know, you, you do whatever you can do. But at the end of the day, they are able to say, Lord, you're in charge, even through unjust leaders, even through foolish leaders, and even through leaders that make the right decision, even if it doesn't conform to what I wish it was. Right? Maybe that's the right call. I don't know. I don't know. But that's the, that's the nature of being under authority. And so Patrick was just affirming, it's just helpful to see what Scripture has said as you will live your life in a world ruled by sometimes unjust and sometimes foolish authority. Okay.
we got to stop. You guys can go to church. Thanks so much for engaging. It was fun. We'll talk later.